You're listening to the Douglas Jacoby Podcast. Here we bring you some of the material found on Douglas's website in podcast form. We hope that as you listen, you are challenged to think about faith. Today, Douglas continues his series on the Sermon on the Mount, now looking at Lord, Lord. For more on this episode, follow the link in the show notes to Douglas's website. Now, here's today's teaching. Sermon on the Mount 38, Lord. This collection of Jesus' teachings, Matthew 5 and 6 and 7, includes some very challenging things. He has spoken about the narrow road. Immediately after that, he warns us of the false prophets who will try to dilute his teaching. And now, in the passage for today's lesson, Jesus' tone becomes even more serious. Now, up to now, he has revealed himself as a teacher, a teacher like Moses, and as a prophet, of course. But in this passage, we will also see that he is the judge. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. That's Matthew 7, 21 to 23. It's not enough simply to call Jesus Lord. Many imagine that if they call the name of the Lord, usually uh, interpreted as saying some kind of a prayer, then they'll be saved. And many of those believe they'll be saved forever and they can never lose their salvation. Yet passages like this, should be sober reminders that the Lord expects obedience. Several years ago, I did a short series on Jeremiah. The link is in the notes for this lesson. But the false prophets say things, as the people say things repeatedly, as though the more often they say it, the more true it will be. In Jeremiah 6.6, 6, they say, peace, peace, when there is no peace, because they don't dress the wound of my people properly. They treat it as though it's just a, a paper cut when it's something that's deep and infected. Jeremiah 7.4, the people are saying, this is the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. And yet Jeremiah says, you're wasting your time going to church here unless you really change. And then you had the false prophets in Jeremiah 23, 25, who would tell each other, I had a dream, I had a dream, as though somehow that made their fantasy a reality. Well, here at the last day, some people are saying, Lord, Lord, whether they say it once or twice or thrice, really doesn't change the situation. They're in trouble. There's, of course, a parallel passage in Luke, what's called the Sermon on the Plain. Why do you call me Lord, Lord? And do not do the things I say. That's in Luke 6, 46. So it doesn't really matter what we do if we're not obeying him, even if we're doing miracles. Jesus makes this crystal clear that even uh, miraculous activity does not save us if we're living disobediently. And yet there are millions, 
maybe even hundreds of millions of Christians today who believe that if they do miracles or if their leaders do miracles, then they must be on the right track, despite verses like Matthew 7, 22 and many others. But what was the attitude in the early church? Uh, two quotations I'd like to give you from the Shepherd of Hermas and from Justin Martyr. These are both in the second century. Justin, let those who are not found living as he taught, Jesus, be understood not to be Christians, even though they profess with the lips the teachings of Christ. For it is not those who make a profession, but those who do the works who shall be saved, according to his words. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that does the will of my Father who is in heaven. And then Hermas, the man who has the Lord embedded in his heart can also be Lord of every one of his commandments. But for those who have the Lord only on their lips, but with their hearts that are hard and far from the Lord, the commandments are hard and difficult. Therefore, you who are empty and fickle in your faith need to implant the Lord in your hearts, and you will know that there is nothing easier, sweeter, and more manageable than these commandments. Now, the attitude was not that Jesus laid down the law and it's harsh and probably you won't be saved even if you give it your best and try to follow. No, it's manageable. It can well be done, but it requires seriousness. It requires a decision. He says, then I will declare to them, I never knew you and depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. I know some modern versions use a different word, but actually is the word lawlessness. And what does that mean? Well, he doesn't say that uh, depart from me because you were never saved. That would be the normal response of uh, Calvinists, those who follow the teaching of John Calvin, once saved, always saved. Um, that's not what Jesus says. The problem wasn't that they were never saved, is that they were practicing lawlessness. Well, how can he say, I never knew you, depart from me? Well, that might sound as though they were never Christians. I don't think that's what Jesus means. And there are lots of quotations from the early Christians, which make quite clear what that does mean. Uh, here's one, Cyril of Alexandria. There may be some who in the beginning believed rightly and diligently labored at virtue. They may have even worked miracles and prophesied and cast out demons. And yet later they are found turning aside to evil to self-assertive deception and desire. Of these, Jesus remarks that he never knew them. So here, this is a, an Egyptian leader who's saying that they were Christians, but they turned aside. A Chrysostom, Constantinople. You ask, how does he punish someone he doesn't even know? It is because here Jesus says, I do not know you in a different sense. He says it in the sense of, I deny you and refuse to have anything to do with you. You ask again, how is it possible that they will be denied if they have shown prophetic powers, worked miracles, and cast out demons? More than likely, it is because they changed afterwards and became wicked. Therefore, their former virtue did not benefit them. For it is not enough that we begin well, we must also end well. Once saved, always saved is not a biblical doctrine. The early church knew that. They knew Jesus meant just what he said. One other thought on I never knew you. In 1 Corinthians 8.3, Paul says that those who love God are known by God. 
Now, we're not talking about intellectual knowledge. God knows everything about all of us. But it's relational. It's the friendship. It's our being his sons and daughters. If we love God, we're known by God. To the extent that we don't love God, God knows us not. He knows us less. And I think that passage um, in 1 Corinthians 8 sheds some light here. I love the way my friend puts this. Um, the alarming reality is that this describes most professing Christians today, that is, those who practice lawlessness. When they read the Sermon on the Mount, they view it simply as a collection of ideals to think about. David Berceau, a collection of ideals. You know, it's as though lawlessness is their attitude that they have no law to follow. It's, of course, it's a, they're overdoing the, the difference between law and grace. Christians do have to follow God's laws. And no one in the Old Testament was saved apart from grace. In the New Testament, we have to obey. In the Old Testament, it was all grace. They're two sides of the coin. But some Christian leaders speak and teach as though for us, we don't even need to obey. There are no laws for us. We can do as we please. And that is simply not right. Because lawlessness isn't so much violating the Torah as a failure to reflect the heart of the Torah, justice and mercy in our interactions, in our doctrine, and our personal character. It's living as though Christians were somehow above the requirement of obedience. And that lawlessness, uh, that's just simply wrong and goes totally counter to the teachings of our Lord. Lord, we thank you for the chance to re-examine this very familiar passage. May it guide us and sober us and give us great thoughts that we can share with others as we reach out um, on a daily basis, Lord, we want to be lights in the world. We want to be salt. We want to uh, truly be collectively that city set on a hill. that people will see your glory and your light. Lord, help us to take this all seriously. And as we're drawing near the end of our series, we pray that uh, uh, the next couple of lessons will really help us as well. We thank you for salvation. We thank you for sharing with us the world and for giving us your image to bear and help us to responsibly be your image and represent you today. We hope you enjoyed Douglas's series on the Sermon on the Mount. For additional notes and resources, be sure to check out Douglas's website in the show notes. The website has hundreds of articles, podcasts, and videos for you to access for free. You can also become a premium subscriber and gain access to thousands of online resources from Douglas' teaching ministry. Thanks again for listening.